Hope is the thing with feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers. That's like a bird. Like a bird. That perches in the soul. That perches in the soul. Welcome to the Thing with Feathers podcast, a podcast about birds and hope. I'm your host, birding enthusiast, Courtney Ellis. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm Courtney Ellis. We have a fabulous Canadian birder with us today. She is a professor of microbiology at the University of Saskatchewan. She is one of the most fun birders to follow on Twitter. She much prefers being outside to being inside, don't we all? <laughs> Janet Hill, welcome to the Thing with Feathers. Thanks so much, Courtney. It's great to meet you and thanks for the invitation. I am so excited to to speak with you today. I, I got to know you a little bit over Twitter through your beautiful bird photography. Tell me a little bit about what took you into the world of photographing birds. Wow. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know. I mean, I've been interested in birds ever since I was a little kid. I mean, I got into it really early and and um, learned a lot about them and really enjoyed going out and watching. And, and at the same time, I, I was sort of interested in photography. But I think the big change for me was getting my first digital camera. Mm. Um, because as anybody knows who's ever used a film camera, there's a long delay between taking pictures and seeing the results. And you don't get that chance for a do-over you don't get the immediate feedback. And so, I mean, I have huge respect for anyone who's done wildlife photography on film because I don't know how they do it. Um, and uh, it just, it became a way to, it's kind of like a journal for me. I, I keep track of what I see for my own amusement, I guess. <laughs> so I can, I can look back over the years and see places I've been and birds we've seen and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's a little hard to explain. And you mentioned you started birding early. Tell mm. us about that. What was your journey into birding? Yeah, well, both of my parents were very interested in, in nature, were real, real active naturalists and um, spent a lot of time outside. And when me and my siblings were kids, I mean, it was a regular thing for us to be out, especially on the weekends to go hiking. And, uh, you know, we were out in the woods flipping over logs and looking under rocks and look, learning about birds and plants. And, um, and I really took to it. I really, really enjoyed it. And the bird thing was something my dad and I did a lot together. Um, we often went out during migration um, and sort of got used to seeing that pattern of birds as the different species arrived every day and kept learned about keeping lists, learned about how to use a field guide, um, that kind of stuff. And, and I, like a lot of people, sort of stopped doing it, I guess, actively and purposefully for a while during, you know, going to school and, and other things, but have really come back to it, um, I would say, in the last 20 years, sort of. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Graduate yeah, school. Kind of, yeah, exactly. It's, it's <laughs> all encompassing. You don't get to have hobbies. <laughs> That's right. Everything else goes out the window. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I love that you you mentioned the record keeping, the keeping of lists. And I know that's something you're a big believer in. Talk, talk to us about the importance or uh, and the fun, I guess, of, of keeping records as a birder. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's not. And for me, I'm not like, I guess the term is lister. Like I'm not obsessed about it. I'm not traveling around the world trying to, you know, have the most um, species or anything like that. But I do like keeping track because it helps you appreciate over time. You can see changes and you start to learn when to expect to see things. Um, and, uh, that helps every year that I can look back and say, oh, when was the last time, you know, we saw a white-throated sparrow or whatever. And I can, you can almost predict to the day when you'll run into them. Um, and, uh, I just, I I love information. (laughs) I guess I can't, can't help myself. I just like keeping track of things. And I find it really interesting to be able to look back at it. It really, I don't know why it surprises me every year, but it's for us, it's the second week in October, the white crowned sparrows come back. And every year I'm like, oh my goodness, they did it again. You know, you hear that yeah. song that's familiar, but not quite familiar because you haven't heard it in yeah. a few months. Yeah. And like, how did, do they have calendars? How do they know? It's astonishing. Yeah. No, it is. And I mean, we should, I don't know why we're still surprised by this, but it just seems like every year it's, you know, you get to enjoy it all over again. So Um, yeah, so I think that's a big part of it. And then, you know, I've gotten involved in a bunch of sort of those, you know, the citizen science projects as well. And you really start to see the power of that information. I mean, you feel like, oh, I'm just somebody sitting at home counting birds at my bird feeder. But believe me, there are scientists out there who could not be more excited about this information being collected. Because there's millions of eyes out there now collecting data that can be harvested and and used for, for all sorts of reasons, you know, for ornithology, for conservation efforts. Um, It's remarkable. That has been so interesting and encouraging to me because I I often feel like, well, it's just me in my backyard or my local park and my binoculars. And why does it matter to you that we had six house finches yesterday and eight today, but they can't have eyes in everyone's backyard without us. Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable. I had a, I had an email from, um, there was a, the Saskatchewan uh, birding atlas project was on over the last few years. And this is done at all sorts of state and provincial levels where you're basically trying to collect information about every bird that breeds in that area. So looking for evidence of breeding. And I had just sort of, I don't know, as I usually do, I submitted my eBird list and I happened to have a photo that went with it of these Western kingbirds um, feeding chicks in a nest. And months later, I got an email from the birding atlas people saying, oh, can you remember exactly where this was? Because if so, it's, you know, the only record we have of that bird breeding in that area. So you never know, right? You might, something you see might be special. It's like being a modern day explorer, you know, you're getting in your ship and going across the sea and they're like, what did you find? Give me a treasure map. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me about the birds of Saskatchewan. So I grew up in the Midwest and I now live in Southern California. I've never been to Saskatchewan. What do you see? And what do you see? This podcast is going to go out in May. What do you see in the late spring in Saskatchewan? Yeah, so May, I mean, will be sort of early spring for us. (laughs) This is is true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the timelines are a bit different, but I mean, that's really peak of of songbird migration, right? And in Saskatoon here, we are about, I would say about a two hour drive south of the edge of the boreal forest. And the boreal forest, you know, that goes stretches across the continent is the breeding place for so many songbirds. Um, And they all, a lot of them fly through here really rapidly in May. So we'll see the warblers and um, my one of my personal favorites, we get the meadowlarks back in sort mm-hmm. of April and May, start to hear those voices in the spring, which is wonderful, and bluebirds um, and all the waterfowl, 
right? The, the ducks and the geese and the, we have American white pelicans that breed here in the province. Um, it's, it's amazing and such a huge contrast from the winter. Um, so it's a real treat every year. It just, I mean, yeah. Anyway, we should all just get the month off work. I think <laughs> I was going to ask if it aligns yeah. with your spring break or if you just have to suffer through it. Yeah. And be late for some meetings and things. <laughs> Yeah. Class yeah. dismissed. I have to yeah. go. I have to go. Yeah. Fortunately, the days get a lot longer. So you can be out late into the evening and um, or, or really early in the morning as well. But um, yeah, and we have wonderful um, grassland birds here that unfortunately are in decline, a lot of them. But, um, you know, just seeing a lot of those species like bobolink and, you know, the grouses and stuff like that is always exciting. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting area here. Spring and summer in the north is such magic. I do miss that. Our seasons here are so subtle. We kind of have fire season and not on fire season. And I miss the waiting for the bloom, waiting for the thaw. There, There is something that is such magic of hearing the bird song you haven't heard in mm-hmm. six months. Like they're back, they came. Yeah, and it's starting even now. I mean, I caught a magpie starting to work on a nest last week, actually. You know, and it's, it's minus 30 here this morning. So, you know, they, it's, it's not the temperature they care about. It's the time, right? They know because of the lights and everything else that it's, it's time. And those are your favorite, right? That's what you you mentioned in the little questionnaire I sent out. You like the black-billed magpie. Tell me about those and why you love them. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't love a corvid, right? I mean, they're they're so smart and, you know, they have a bit of a reputation, I would say, here because there are definitely um, places where they are really abundant. Um, they're pretty loud. Um, they do, you know, they eat a lot of things, including some smaller animals. So some people aren't crazy about that, but I just, I don't know. I mean, they're spectacularly beautiful and a real surprise to people because they're the colors, you know, that, um, uh, blue, green, black, white scheme that they have is so dramatic and so unexpected for something that lives in a Northern environment like this. But I just think they're such characters. I love to watch them and see their interactions with each other. And um, yeah, yeah, they're great. They put on a show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Never a dull moment when magpies are around. It's, it's so true. Corvids are so fascinating and so smart. And I think I, I have a a seven-year-old son and he's he's our family Corvid. Like he's always up to something. And you see that look in his eye and I'm like, I've seen that look before and it's on the crows yeah. that sit on the backyard fence. So like, what are you yeah. plotting? You're plotting absolutely. something. Yeah, absolutely. So you also mentioned you love talking to people about getting started in birding no matter where they live. And I think the bar to entry for birding is so low. You can do it anywhere. You can do it with anything. But I think a lot of us have excuses in mind, like, well, I live in an apartment or I live really far north or I live where it's really hot and buggy. How do you advise people to start? Where should they start? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it really does. It depends a bit on where you live for sure. Um, but I think you're, you're right. You just, once you start to listen and notice birds, I mean, they're everywhere, right? It's, it's such an accessible way, um, to get into wildlife watching. I mean, I'm totally fascinated with, um, giant anteaters, but when am I going to see one? Right. And maybe if I'm lucky once in my life, I'll get to go to South America and I'll, I'll get to meet one, but birds I can see outside my window right now. And, so I think just getting out there and starting to listen and pay attention. I'm, I'm often amazed when people, I'll tell people when I get to work that, oh, I saw, 
whatever this morning or however many species of birds I'd seen there. Like, really? Where? I'm like, well, on my street, right? Just as I was walking along because I was listening. So I think that's, um, or, you know, finding a park near where you are or if you have a backyard or um, they're, they're everywhere. They're just everywhere. I love conversations with folks who are like, maybe I'll get into birding, but there aren't many birds where I live. And and my advice is always like, go out and, and just look and listen and give yourself 10 or 15 minutes. Download Merlin if you want the little sound ID helper, yeah. but you'll be surprised because almost anywhere there are birds and there may not be a huge biodiversity where you live, but there's going to be something and usually more than one something. And like you said, it's 30 below and there are birds outside today. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really once you, once you get started, I think for a lot of people they just it gets to be a bigger and bigger thing, right? So yeah. once you start learning, and um, I think the listening thing is really important. And you mentioned the Merlin app, and that's one that um, I was a little skeptical at first because I don't really, I don't know, it just it didn't appeal to me at the beginning, and then I just sort of thought, oh well, I'll give it a try. And I have to say, it's really interesting if you're just standing somewhere to get that feel for what should I be looking for, Because I might not know, well, I don't know all the songs, but if I hear something interesting, you know, it's like it it helps you to start spotting things because you kind of have a picture of what you're looking for. Um, So yeah, listening is a big, uh, is a big part of it and trying to learn some ID skills and there's really good tools out there now um, because putting a name to things, I think makes it more satisfying um, being able to say not that I just saw this little brown bird, but oh, I saw a white crowned sparrow. It's it's a bit different. Yeah. It really does bring things to life. Our our youngest is four years old, and and she's just out of that phase of the what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? What you know? Also the why phase. That's a different why? phase. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you see how children learn by putting a name to something, and it exists in a new way when it has a name. And and I think with birds, the more we know, the more we're able to love and appreciate. And it's so exciting to me. The farther I get in birding, it's not just a warbler. It's a yellow rumped warbler. It's an orange crowned warbler. And there's a deepening of the love because I know a little bit more. And there's always more to learn. It's this unending bowl of soup. Yeah. Bottomless yeah, bowl. Sure. Yeah. I think the biggest, one of the biggest changes I made um, that I've really found helpful is trying to learn more about bird behavior and mm-hmm. about habitats. Because if you if you understand more about how different species of birds live and, you know, are they up high? Are they down low? What do they eat? Um, what sort of places do they live? Um, it can make such a huge difference in your experience because you're just a little more informed before you go out. Um, cause everything is not everywhere. Right. <laughs> so, totally. And even yeah. a walk where you start in a little grassland and you go into a forest or you go down to a Creek, you'll see different things, even though you've only traveled 40 yards, because yeah. th- that's what the bird, these birds want the water. These birds want the seeds that are growing back there. And, and it's so true that the more you learn and know what to look for, the more fun it is. Cause the treasure hunt now has a certain yeah. goal to it, a certain like, yeah. 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 And say. there's lots of other sort of, accessory knowledge that you get about that right because then you start to learn about plants and then you start to learn about different trees that you're seeing and um, yeah I think it helps kind of expand your view of how they not just the birds but how they fit into the world around them Um, makes a big difference how interconnected all of it is that you can't pull a link out of the chain without the entire chain reacting in some way. I was, there was supposedly a Lewis's woodpecker around here and those don't come around here very much. So I went to see it and all the birders on eBird said, you know, it's in a sycamore tree. And I was like, 
I don't know what a sycamore tree is. Okay, now I need to learn. Like I need to learn, and and it is. It's all connected. I never did find that woodpecker. Gosh darn it! But the oh, the, the joy time. of the hunt next yeah. time. The joy of yeah. the hunt really is something, and and it does it. It tunes you into the natural world in a really different way. It tunes you into weather. It tunes you into plant life. It tunes you into all of these patterns in a way that is is so life giving and such a reminder of the ways we are all so connected. Yeah, yeah for sure. How does your work in microbiology influence your birding? Speaking of things all being connected. Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I, I think it's kind of related in the sense that it, it um, reflects my interest in details. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm a biologist, right? I happen to work on, on microbes, but um, at, at the heart of it, I'm just interested in life and how living things interact with each other. Um, and so it, it sort of fits. It's a very detail-oriented science. And so I think I, that part of birding appeals to me about cataloging and naming things and making those sorts of observations. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the connection. <laughs> yeah. I love the, I just love life. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's what it boils down to, right? I'm interested in, in uh, all things about it. So, um, yeah. And it, and being a keen observer, I see that in your photography and I hear that in your love for birds, that part of the joy for you is noticing. Yeah, I think noticing is such a big part of it. Like the details that I'm always surprised when I, you know, I'll hear from someone who maybe doesn't have all that much experience and they'll basically look at two completely different birds and say, well, I don't see the difference. Right. And it's okay, well, let's take a minute and zoom in. Right. So let's start at the top and look at their beak shape. Right. What is what does it look like? And little mark color markings. What color are their feet? How long is their tail? You know, how big. So those sorts of noticing those details is such an important part to recognizing things. And um, I just love the fact that you you have to really stop and pay attention. Um, and uh, that's something I think I, I hear from a lot of people who enjoy the looking at birds as a hobby is that they enjoy that sort of excuse to just shut everything else out and pay, pay attention, be in the moments and, and try and appreciate the details of what you're seeing. It really does slow you down, but in a way that's not frustrating. I, I, I'm a pastor at a church and one of our spiritual practices in the season of Lent is we tell people to go out and look for birds. And, and I had a congregant email me and say, I, I went out and I looked for a bird and, you know, asked God to send me some birds. And he sent me a crow eating a Del Taco wrapper. What does that mean? <laughs> it's not like a, it's not like an omen, you know, it's not, it doesn't work that way, but but learning about how to slow down, that's not just, I'm going to sit here because that's excruciating. It's, I'm going to sit here and pay attention. I'm going to sit here and look. And like you said, it's about learning to see. These birds don't look the same. They have different variation yeah. in the banding on the wing. And once you learn to see it, you almost can't not see it. It's like learning to read. You can't look at a, a grouping of letters now and not see the word, yeah. but it's a skill like anything else. Yeah, no, it's very true. And it's it's um, it takes time, I think, to to get used to that. But once you, once you do, it's, it's, uh, it's very satisfying. Um, yeah, I really enjoy that part of it a lot. What does your birding hobby life look like? You're, we're, we're doing this interview and you're in your office at the university. Yeah. I see, I see the work life. What yeah. does your birding hobby life look like? Well, I spend a lot of time. So most of the time I'm out with my husband, we're great birding partners and love being outdoors. And for me, it's a, um, I'm not like a, I'm not carrying a lot of gear and not bringing a tripod. I'm not 
doing all that stuff because for me the being outside walking around and seeing stuff is really the more important part and we bird as we go um but I mean I'm doing it all the time like literally out the window or walk I we have the great pleasure of being able to walk to work every day and home and it's um, awesome yeah it's about 40 minutes alongside the South Saskatchewan River um on you know, trails that are quite natural. I mean, we see all kinds of wildlife, I mean, you know, birds and other things um, every day. And uh, so that's, it's kind of nice to have that excuse every day. Um, But yeah, weekends, you know, and, and time in the backyard is another thing. I like gardening too, and like playing around in the backyard and um, certainly feed birds at home. Um, So we see them that way as well. Um, and every once in a while, you know, take kind of an outing um, for the purposes of looking for something special, like whooping cranes would be a great example of that. So we have logged many miles driving someplace to see those in particular, just because, well, because why not? Right. Um, yeah. But it's often sort of a almost, a, I would say, a secondary activity to just being out um, mm. hiking and enjoying the outdoors. So yeah, and like a lot of yeah, a lot of photographers, you know, they'll haul a bunch of equipment and set up somewhere because their purpose is 100%. I am going to get a picture of a green winged teal or whatever. And for me, it's kind of um, it's more um, convenience, I guess. <laughs> so whatever's out there. The Not birds green. sound like the frosting on the cake of you being outside. Being yeah. outside is the cake, and the birds are. Yeah, I think so, and um, just not. I find it really relaxing too. Like I'm not putting any pressure on myself that, Oh, we're going out to look for this thing. Right. It's just, I'm going out with my eyes open and my ears open and let's just see what we see, you know, and sometimes it's a crow carrying whatever, (laughs) but sometimes it's something else. I have found that my least satisfying birding experiences are when I'm hunting for something specific, like the Lewis's woodpeckers there. I've never seen one. I'm going to go see it. I didn't see it. Now I'm bummed. Whereas if I'd just gone to the same marsh with no agenda, I would have had a lovely time. And so I am trying to get away from the, the hunt of it and go more into the, just enjoy what's given because it's going to be different. Yeah, I think it's true. And it's an attitude that I think really helps is if you go into, I mean, I always often tell students this, that when, you know, they're saying, oh, I have to go to some class or a seminar, I'm not, don't think I'm very interested in. And I always just give them the challenge of learn something, right? You will pick up, I swear, you'll pick up something. And it might not even be the topic that the person is presenting about. It might be something you observe in the room, or you learn something about giving a good presentation from just watching what they're doing. But get something out of the experience because you're there and you know, why not? Right. Yeah. I really, I, you put your finger on it there. I think that idea of going out without expectations, right? Like don't, don't plan your day, (laughs) you know, maybe plan where you're going, but um, just being, just be open to whatever you might happen to see because it could be, well, it will be interesting. Yeah. Bring snacks and don't bring expectations. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whatever it is, it'll be better than being inside. So. <laughs> right. so true. It's so true. Although the mosquitoes of the great white north that you get are are something else. You are you are tougher than me. You're walking to work in 30 below zero and you're birding out with the mosquitoes the size of hummingbirds and you're just, you're hardcore, yeah. Janet. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, sometimes you just, I don't know, just have to get out there. Preparation's important too. Right? People are always amazed about being out in the cold, but um, you know, if you're dressed for it, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't take a lot of pictures because your hands don't work so well, but um, yeah, 
but it's still good to get out. That was always the Wisconsin line was, there's no bad weather, there's only bad clothing. <laughs> it's like, but I can't well, feel my face. Yeah, well, I'm trying to create a, an interest in the, the overall um, field of mitten photography. And I don't mean taking pictures of mittens, I mean taking pictures with mittens on. Because mitten photography is a skill that requires quite a bit of practice. So I'm getting better at it. I'm working on it. There's a finesse to it, I imagine. Well, little tiny buttons and great big mittens are not a great combination. So uh, I would read a book on mitten photography, straight yeah. up. Straight <laughs> up, I would read a book on that. Well, I'll get working on that. <laughs> so, yeah. Janet, how do you take a good photo of a bird? Oh, I could, I know. Well, first rule is you also have to take at least 10 not good photos. And so I often talk about the keeper ratio, right? So the number that you take versus the number that you might actually show someone. So that's, that's important. Um, I don't know. I, I like, um, I like natural settings. I feel really strongly about that, about, you know, ethical photography and, um, you know, I don't care if there's a stick in the foreground. If there was a stick in the foreground, then that's what was there. And this is the real picture. So I sort of like that, that sort of idea. Um, you just, you need to be patient. Um, and again, that behavior thing comes in. Like if you understand a bit about how birds move, um, then that helps you be in the right place at the right time. So for example, birds that eat insects, um, in flying uh, or sorry, insectivores, they'll, they'll perch somewhere and then they'll fly out to grab something and then they'll often return to the exact same spot. So you can watch a kingbird hunting and it will return many, many times to that exact same spot. So if you just sit and wait, you know, you might get a good look at it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, equipment's good, but honestly, it, it, it's not, Equipment helps. Good equipment helps for sure. But if you don't, um, if you aren't in the right place at the right time, you can have the best equipment in the world and it's not going to do you any good. Um, I am definitely not an equipment person. Like anytime anybody asks me what kind of camera I use, I swear I have to go look it up because I just, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I used to know what it was called. It's um, not an iPhone. It's better than an iPhone. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> That's um, what I use and it shows. <laughs> well, you know, it's a good, it's great to start. And the, the quality of photographs people can take with phones now is incredible. But it, what it doesn't tend to help with is getting close. Hmm. So, you know, often um, something else is needed for that. Um, yeah. I don't know. It. It, composition's a thing too. Like the photographs you see that you really enjoy a lot of the time are ones that give you some context about where this creature is. So it's not just, you know, always the tightly framed photo of the bird itself, but maybe some, some context behavior, I think makes really interesting photos. Like rather than just, you know, a, a pose um, it's nice if you can see them doing something interesting um, but everybody has different tastes, right? So what one person likes might not be what somebody else likes. So. It is very subjective. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I have zero training, so I can't really <laughs> speak with any authority on, uh, particular tactics one might take. I, I mean, I'm sure you can, there's certainly lots of training available. Mm. Uh, so for some people, you know, taking a class to get comfortable with a camera is a good start. 
Um, or if you're like me, you just sort of pick it up and start pushing the buttons and turning the dials and see what happens. <laughs> but I'm an experimentalist. So, um, but uh, yeah. And, or joining, you know, sometimes people join groups too, where, you know, you have a group of people who are really interested in learning about photography or go out with someone who's has more expertise, get some practice that way. But um, now it's so easy to just take pictures and see the results immediately. And there's no, you know, you're not paying per frame anymore, right? So I think that's all the more incentive to just go out and take pictures. See what works, what doesn't work. Go back and try again. Really, it is such a gift that digital photography is, you know, essentially free once you've purchased the camera and the, and the memory card. It's it's take yeah. as many as you want and yeah. and weed through them and see what's happening. I've, I've found with my kids that here you can take the iPhone and go look at the ducks has been a way into birding for them too, because they don't get the phone very much. And if it's to yeah. go look at ducks, then they'll take it. So a little ulterior, ulterior motive there, but to be able to hand it to the children, knowing that I can delete them all later, but they might get a good one and they've had fun and they've learned something. Yeah. Why does this one have a green head and this one have a brown head? Well, let's talk, let's talk ducks. Yeah. And you get, it helps with ID as well. That's another reason I was going to say earlier and I sort of forgot was that one of the reasons why I love taking pictures while we're birding is that then you have, you, if you're lucky enough to get a photo, you can go home and sit down and really look at it as opposed to that fleeting glimpse you might get where it's like, did it have a wing bar? I think it had a wing bar. I don't remember. So it's a really good aid for, um, um, for identification. I mean, even if they're not, you know, a picture you're going to hang on the wall, um, they can be very, very helpful for identification. It gives you that time, right? Because birds don't wait, don't wait around, right? <laughs> That's the thing. It's such a good memory tool. And I've always, I'm always amazed at how my memory has failed between the taking of the picture and the looking of, at the picture later. I'm like, I'm sure it had a crest. It didn't have a crest. I'm sure the tail was this long. It wasn't this long. The size was off by, by an order of magnitude. Like I, uh, my memory is just not there for the details always, but the camera doesn't lie. Yeah. Yeah. No, it can be extremely helpful. Um, just having that record. And it is fun sometimes to just get terrible pictures too. Um, if you look for the um, worst bird pick hashtag on Twitter, I mean, it's, and there's all sorts of other groups that post these. I mean, it, it's, it's good fun, right? Cause we all have a lot of those. <laughs> and but. permission not to take it so seriously. Like we're all yeah. learning, we're all on this journey and whatever way you find your way into birding or photography or birding photography, there's a place for you, which is one of the things I love about the birding community in general. You get the people who are the grumpy, you have to do it a certain way and you can't call yourself a birder unless X, Y, and Z, but by and large, people are just delighted by this and they want other people to be delighted by it too. So it's, you know, I, I can't, tell you how many times I'm out on a trail and someone will be like, come over here, you know, look in, look in my scope or check out the, like they want to share it. People want to share it because it's, it's, yeah. it's made better by sharing. Yeah. One of my um, favorite types of bad bird picture, and I've taken lots of these are the ones where the bird is so far away and possibly so obscured from a clear sight but you line it up and you find yourself pressing the shutter and why why because you just you have to right and you just you just want the chance to be able to show somebody it's like believe me it's an osprey it's this little tiny blurry black dot why did I press the shutter I don't know I just I had to trust me yeah I just had to do it because I wanted to share it with people 
So. Occasionally I'll send those into eBird and I'll get an email response of like, we cannot positively ID. And yeah. I'm like, I know, I know. I'm just, I, it's all my it's photography. Is, right? Exactly. I was just going to yeah. say that. It's all aspirational. Yeah. I'm trying here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I love the, I love the ties between the microbiology and the eye for detail and the photography. And I've so enjoyed following you on Twitter because your Twitter presence is this really invitational, like, look at this. Isn't this interesting? Isn't this cool? Like, um, there are folks on Twitter who are out there to pick a fight and you are officially not one of them. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. I think, I don't know. It's an interesting phenomenon, right? The people who want to be an expert or tell you the way that things should be as opposed to, Hey, look, this is cool. Um, but I, anyway, it takes all kinds. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and access to the expertise is amazing. I mean, I have learned a ton from people who know a lot more about everything than I do. Um, and that's been great. People who are willing to answer questions and contribute to really constructive conversations and kind of spread knowledge around. I think that's the really good part. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I've certainly benefited a lot from that myself. So there's always someone who can offer you help with an identification or, um, or a behavior question or something like that. That it's piece great. of Twitter is such a gift. Just you throw out a question and within hours if not minutes people chime in and you're like oh thank you that was that was so interesting I mean they're not always right but it's <laughs> it's, great. it's great to have the conversation right and something or at least a lead you can follow up on or um or whatever else but yeah no my experience with it has been been pretty uh pretty positive so yeah. I have learned that I will get the the quickest comments on what a bird is not if I say hey what is this bird but if I misname the bird on purpose like oh do you oh. like the osprey and people are like that's a cooper's hawk like that's the way you get the that's the way you get it quickly yeah that's a good strategy i like that yeah it's a yeah. little sneaky i'm not above being a being a little we all have a little corvid in us okay this, yeah that's true that's good i'll have to keep that in mind actually give it a try let me know how it goes okay okay i will yeah well, Janet, as you start to look towards spring, I know I know it, it takes longer to reach you than it does to reach us down here, but what are you most looking forward to when you think about heading outside as the thaw starts to set in? Yeah, I guess, well, one thing for sure, something general is just the sound. So hearing that dawn chorus again is just so great. I mean, I'll be complaining about it when there's a robin singing at 3.30 outside my bedroom window, but... Why do they do that? The robins <laughs> and the mockingbirds are like, hey, I need a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big part of it. Watching the prairie change, like seeing the um, plants starting to grow and things like, you know, our, um, our pask flower, the prairie crocus that comes up. One of the first things that emerges out of the brown cover on the ground is just amazing. Um, and one more sort of a more specific thing I'm, well, fingers crossed, but I'm, um, I don't know. I, I met a blue jay a few years ago um, in my yard who, I guess it was back in 2017, and it had a leg band on it, one of those metal, silver metal leg bands. And I had observed it for a while. And then in 2020, because I recognized that I'd seen this bird, I'm sure it's the same bird for those three or four years coming back. I sort of posted something about it on Twitter and a person who was an expert in bird banding in the province said, you know, if you can get the number, you can look up the bird. 
And I thought, well, mostly people do that with birds they find dead. And this bird was very much alive. And so I just sat out on my deck and I started taking pictures of this bird's leg. <laughs> and over a period of several days, I took a lot of photos because every time you take a picture, it would be rotated you know, slightly differently. And you're like, okay, we just need one more number, one more number, one more number. And one night I actually got it. And so I looked it up and it turned out that this blue jay had been banded about four blocks from my house by a couple who lived there, um, Stuart and Mary Houston. And among other great accomplishments in their lives, they were epic bird banders. Hmm. Like they had burned were abandoned tens of thousands of birds, including this blue jay. And from the record, when I looked it up, it turned out that it had been born or hatched in 2014 or earlier. And so I first saw it in 2016. And I last saw it in late September, just this past fall. It's mm -hmm. been back every year. And it's had clutches of young that have come to the yard. So we've seen them. And by my calculation, if she, I'm calling her she, but you can't actually tell, is still alive, she'd be nine or 10 this year, which is a little, is getting up there for a blue jay in the wild. I think their life expectancy is like eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. But um, every April, in the first week of April for the past few years, this bird has arrived. So mm -hmm. I, my fingers are crossed that maybe one more season, I don't know. Um, if she'll be back, but uh, I, I hope so, but we'll see. We'll see. And if not, one of the kids will be around. So I guess that'll be good. That is really, I love that story. I love picturing you with your camera taking bird leg <laughs> pictures. Like if someone went through your files, they'd be like, what happened? Janet lost it during this four day window. Janet, <laughs> Janet was losing it. Yeah. <sighs> pictures of bird feet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it was it was pretty interesting, and I, I've I've posted about about her. I think her whole story is posted somewhere in a long thread. But um, yeah, and it connected me to these um, to the Houston's who were doing all this bird banding and caused me to sort of learn about their lives. And they've just both, both passed away now, just fairly recently. And mm. what an amazing story they were and their contributions to conservation and bird banding and stuff. And it's just it's such a weird connection, right? And four blocks away. And you didn't yeah, even know they were there. Yeah, this person I've never met who must have at some point held this bird in their hand. Mm. Just kind of a, yeah. Anyway, just It's all connected. Yeah, exactly. I love that story. Janet, where are you finding hope these days? Yeah, I think I, I, I think it's back to that seasonal cycle. It's just looking forward to, you know, seeing things roll out as the as the year progresses and all those things there are to look forward to I mean I've I've been around the sun enough times that I know the pattern pretty well and so I'm kind of anticipating stuff all the time that oh you know it's February and so here's what we should be seeing next and I just yeah I, I find that very um hopeful I think I really mm -hmm. enjoy that and and um you know every time I click that shutter <laughs> I'm hoping for for a good photo. So, you know, it's always something learned to something uh, new to learn, I would say. And I really, um, I enjoy that. I see that in my students all the time. And I hope I keep seeing it in myself as well. That mm -hmm. uh, Just, you know, learning is just keep learning. Mm -hmm. Be curious, right? 
be curious. That is a word. Yeah. It changes our posture toward everything if we're curious. Not yeah. cynical, not holding back, but that Just posture of curiosity. Yeah. yeah. What's out the window today? What's in the forest? What's what's yeah. this person in this lecture I don't want to go to going to tell me that's going to change my life? Yeah. Or or something completely tangentially related that you weren't expecting, right? Something that happens to you on your way to lecture. You don't know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. The world is an amazing place. If you yeah. if you look at it with those eyes, it really is. Yeah. Did you give the Blue Jay a name? I did, actually. And we call her Mary after Mary Houston. Mm. Um, it just seemed appropriate. I don't know why I decided she was Mary and not Stuart, but that was just... <laughs> That was just what, the way it worked out. So, yeah. I think people often go with the male as the default. So I love it when we buck that trend. I love it yeah. when it's like, why, why does it have to be a boy bird, be a girl bird? 50-50 yeah. yeah, exactly. chance with a blue jay. Who knows? Right. Exactly. Without a very close examination, we're not going to figure it out. So, um, yeah. And I know I says, oh, well, you shouldn't be anthropomorphizing with nature and whatnot. But whatever. I couldn't help myself. So, <laughs> Every, every once in a while, you just got to give yourself a little grace on that stuff. Yeah, she's a special case. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Janet, I love your photography. I love learning from you on Twitter. I've loved learning from you today. Thank you so much for the gift of your time. Is is there anything else you'd like our listeners out there to know? No, I don't think so. Just um, I just hope that everybody can find a way to you know, get out there and, and enjoy the great outdoors, right? And maybe it's not birds, maybe it's insects, right? Maybe it's who knows what it is, but just getting out and be curious and learn about the world around you and you won't be sorry. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the great anteater. Yeah, could be. Could be. <laughs> well, yeah. Janet, thank you so much. I will link to your Twitter profile in the show notes so folks can see you and your beautiful photography and find the story of Mary for themselves. It's a it's a beautiful story. And I'm I'm hoping she comes back to your yard this year. And I'm looking forward to the continuing saga. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Thanks so much, Courtney. I really enjoyed it. The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. Put a skull in your soul. Yes, it does.